Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. feeling a little bit of of angst and and concern or fear of what may be. And so let's just pause for a moment. Let's talk and let's let's see what um, God can do. In fact, uh, uh, John 15, one through two says, I am the vine. I am the true vine. Just Jesus speaking. I am the, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And I think what's happened over the last two years in the greater church, and and specifically in our context here, is God has been cutting away. He's been cutting away at ourselves, and and, and we we all respond in that differently because, let's be honest, it's scary to be cut away. It's scary to be asked to bear more fruit for God, and he's been cutting. And so we stopped. We said, okay, we're going to stop for a second. We're going to talk about this. We're going to lean into this. And we stopped and we said, hey, let's, let's define a few things of what the church is. The, the church is, is unified, is the first one, that, that, that we're brought to the same table by Jesus Christ. And we sit at the table with other believers. It's a place where, where Yodia and Syntyche can disagree on secondary things, but still agree in the Lord. It's a place where we refuse to run from the table, but to recognize that the church is ultimately unified. And that unity is not ours to make up. It is ours in Christ and Jesus and, and the Spirit helps us to do this, and it's our role to maintain it, to, to, to be eager to maintain that unity. And then the second week, we talked about how um, we need to refocus our gaze on Jesus. And they said a few things. We said when we do that, when we refocus our gaze on Jesus, we will realize again that we are the church because of Jesus. He's drawn us to the table, that we are to rid ourselves of everything in our lives that has nothing to do with Jesus. If we have our focus fixed on gaze, then we submit our entire lives to the kingdom of Jesus, his purposes. And when we submit ourselves or refocus our gaze on Jesus, we also remember that we are to look further out, not at the present circumstances, recognizing that Jesus will come again. His kingdom will show up in full fruition. And so this is, this is where we've been. And, and today, uh, we're going to kind of end this with, I hope, I plead and I pray that God will allow us to, to know kind of how do we move forward. But I want to be really clear for those of you note takers, you're like, oh, yes, a bullet point. This is not a seven-step sermon on how to do what you want to do. In fact, I think um, what I pray we accomplish today instead is um, with the immense grace of God that we would, with our focus being in the right spot and our understanding of our unity in Christ, that we would have a newfound joy and excitement to do what the church is supposed to do. Not just, not just go through the motions, but to do what we were really created as the church to do. So if the church is about Jesus, then the best questions we have to ask are, what does Jesus do and what does he want us to do? And what's, what's, what's amazing to me is as we, we kind of jumped into this, what I realized is that many of us are fully aware of all these things. In fact, everything I say today, most of you, if you've spent any time in the church, this is just a reminder. But if you look back in the rearview mirror of your life over the last two years, you'll realize that there are probably some areas, like I realize myself, that we fall massively short of what Jesus has asked us to do. Jesus tells us to pray, in teaching us to pray in Matthew 6.10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so there's this picture that Jesus is saying, hey, we are to pray that God's will would be done here. Not just waiting for him to bring it into full, full fruition, but his will would be done here today. So what this begs the question, what is the will of God? And there's all over in scripture, here's a few. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. How you been doing on that one, church? I feel like that one right there was pretty convicting for me. 1 Peter 2, 15, another one. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of the foolish people. Now, the foolish people, speaking of verse 12 earlier, he's talking about how we keep our conduct among the Gentiles, among the world, in an honorable way, so that when they see our good works, they glorify God. So the will of the Father is doing good. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says it this way, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then it goes on to list a number of things that have no business to be a part of someone who bears the name of Jesus. But when it comes to what we wanted to talk through today, I wanted us to see how Jesus sums this up when really the basic question is, what are we supposed to do? What do we need to do not only to, to know with confidence that we inherit the kingdom of God, but also to know with confidence that we're doing the very thing that the kingdom of God asks of us? And Jesus has much to say about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven all through the New Testament and, or the, the, the Gospels. And I would encourage you to go and read just all the things there. But what, what I wanted to focus on today is something that I think is very common to all of us, is that Jesus answers a, a question to religious leaders when they ask him. They're trying, to, they're trying to trap him. It's a series of three questions. And this is the third one that comes up. He's silenced the other two. And it's Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 39. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus, teacher, what, what do we do? That's what this is asking. What do we do? What do we do? How do we know that we are, we are fulfilling it? Because the 613 laws broken up into light and heavy, we just can't do. We keep struggling to follow through with them. So what, at the, at the core of it, what do we do? What is the greatest one? And Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answers this question in full accord with the Mosaic law. Essentially sums up that the Ten Commandments are, 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 are put into these two. He goes to, to the Shema, the hear, O Israel, the, the thing that they would have repeated over and over and over again through Numbers and Deuteronomy. Like this is, this is something that was so common to all of them. He says, this is what you want to, if you want to know what to do, do this. This is what we do. And so he says that you are to love the Lord your God. This is the highest kind of love, the love of purpose, the love of will, the noblest, the purest, the highest, the self-sacrificing love of that which is right and that which is worthy. So then this begs us the question, what does it mean for us to love God? Well, Jesus does not leave this ambiguous for us. He, we speak, of, it's all over in, in the Gospels, first, uh, in the New Testament. 1 John 5, 3 says it this way, for this is the love of God. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. To love God, we have to follow him in the ways he asks for us. We take joy in loving him by living within parameters that his word tells us to. That's what John 15 says. We'll get there in a few weeks. 
John Mitchell said it this way. He said, he created us to love not only because he is worthy of our love, but because he made us to find our deepest satisfaction and ultimate joy in a love relationship with him. See, when we talked last week or two weeks ago about refocusing our gaze on Jesus, I think the biggest part of it is, and, and maybe if you've, if you've been married for any time, you, you recognize this, you can get really good and proficient at being a good team, but forgetting that intimacy is supposed to be happening. And that, that the reason you're married isn't to just try and make life a little bit easier, because let's be honest, it's not easier being married. But in our relationships with our kids and, and the people in our life, our, our intimacy, our love is supposed to go deeper. We're supposed to stay in that position. And I think in all honesty, in my own life, when I look at it, the areas I struggle, we've, we've maybe, to, to use the language that is so common, is we've fallen out of love with God, although that does not work its way through theologically. But, but, but we've, we've lived our lives where it's like, hey, I'm good at going through the motions with God, but I forgot that I'm supposed to be loving him that literally the entirety of how he made me is to enjoy a satisfaction, a deep, joyful satisfaction in relationship with him. He sent Jesus to die for us. He loves me perfectly so that I could love him imperfectly. Not obligatory, but when you've been loved by someone that knows every ugly thing about you, which God does, yet he loves you the best way ever possible, the only natural thing for us to do is to love in return. It only makes sense to do that. He loved us in a way that no one ever could or ever will. So then how? So then he commands us to love him and love others. So how? In what ways do we love him? This is, this is hopefully review for a lot of us, but he hits a, different, a couple different things. He says, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with your mind, and then the gospel of Mark and Luke adds strength. So we'll cover that one real quickly. The heart normally in the New Testament predominantly means the center of all things, but because he goes heart, soul here, this one, uh, most scholars tend to believe that this is a kind of a true-heartedness or an uprightness. It's almost um, like a command of our emotional nature. To love him with all our heart is to fix our affections completely on him more strongly than on anything else. How are you, how are you doing on that, church? How, how are your affections fixated on him? He says to love him with all our soul, or this one is all of your life. Will you give yourself entirely up for him? Now, I know there are many of our brothers and sisters around the world that that is a very true and real reality. Their life or Jesus. For us, many of us, that may be a question that we never have to ask. So let me ask you this way. What about your reputation? What about who you, who you think you are? Are you willing to die to everything that you are, that, that, that what man may see of you for Jesus? Give your life to the identity of Jesus Christ. Your life is no longer yours to live for you, but now for him. Do, do you love God in that way? What would, what would the people around you, believers or not, see about your life and what you're for for the last two years? How, how will people go, oh, this person is about X. Will it be about Jesus and dying to yourself? Or will it be about all the myriad of other things that news want us to talk about and divide over, over and over and over again? Will you give your life to the identity of Jesus? It says, love him with all your mind. This is uh, the idea that it consumes all our thoughts. Also makes God, loving God have intelligence. It's not just a blind love. 
literally thinking about 2 Corinthians 10.5, taking every thought captive. We uphold that everything we study is to help us to show more glory to him. And in doing so, every bit of things that we do with our mind isn't about just giving more knowledge. It's about us understanding who Jesus is and God is and getting more intimately connected to him, which then will automatically pour ourselves out because we can't be intimately connected to him and be completely self-centered. To see, it's to, to, to fix our mind on this is to see God in all things. Think of him at all times. Having our minds continually fixed on God. Acknowledging him in all your ways. Even when I talk about this, like many of us will go, oh man, I, that's just, that's a lot. That's overwhelming. How are we going to do this? Yet the very thing that I see us struggling with and wrestling with is, God, what do you want us to do? God, what do you want us to do? And he's like, hey, right here, love me. Fixate yourself on me. Let your, your mind be captivated on me. Let your life be about me. I'll take care of everything else. Mark and Luke, like I said, add strength. This is just a, all of our energy. Fervently doing this with all your body to labor and to toil for his, his glory, exerting all the powers of your body in the service of God, sparing no labor or cost or sacrificing our time, body, health, ease for the honor of God. All our services, talents, his power, authority, influence is about him. This doesn't mean that we can't plan out our education or plan out our family or our retirement or any of those things. It doesn't mean we can't do those things, but we recognize that everything we're doing, it starts first and foremost through him. And then everything else is, is, is his will. If he decides that you should retire, then he will give you the way to do it and you will work to that end. It's not a, I want this, God, make you fit into it. It's, God, what do you want me to do? And how can I make everything I have at the service of you? Bearing no cost, sacrificing all our time. Look, Jesus didn't, like, bait and switch us. He said, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross daily. You must die to yourself daily to follow me. This isn't a, I can die to myself 2.3 Sundays a year on my average attendance of, of a Sunday service, or I can die to myself periodically when it's convenient in my gospel communities weekly. No, it's, it's, it's I will die to myself every day. Everything I have is about you. This only happens through the Spirit of God. This is what I love about God is if he doesn't say, love me, and then good luck figuring out how to do it, he says, love me, and I will give you the Spirit of God to do so. This isn't even something we need to white knuckle. Like, oh, I gotta figure out how. Like, you're writing listens. Like, I gotta white knuckle this. It's like, no, I, I surrender myself to be in step with the Spirit. It's an acknowledgement that from our heart that that I'm unable to love God. I'm completely unable to love God without the Spirit's constant enablement to do so. This is why we see all over in the Scriptures to walk by the Spirit, stay in step with the Spirit, because the Spirit is about God, and He's going to enable us and give us the strength to walk this way. So, how are we doing, church, on loving God? with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If, if the church is unified and the church is about Jesus, then, then Jesus says, hey, you want to know what you need to do. Spend the entirety of your life loving God. Exert all your energy in loving God. When you go to work, you love God. When you go to school, you love God. As a father or a mother, you love God. In your relationships, you love God. In your gospel communities, you love God. As we go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus the last couple weeks, you do it by loving God. It's for him and his namesake. 
I think if we, we, we'd say this, most of us, in fact, when I was studying this, like, okay, I can see shortcomings in my way across the board on these things, but I rest in the grace and the mercy of Jesus, knowing that he is not, my, my efforts are not what he's judging me by, he's judging me by what Jesus has done for me. And so there's immense peace in that. Recognizing that, that this is a sanctification, the will of God is our sanctification, he's going to continue to work this out in me. But I think one of the most hypocritical things that we can do as the church is say we love God and hate another person. First John says that you can't say you love God and hate your brother. And this is what Jesus does. He says, this is what's expected. You want to do this? Here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God. And everyone's like, yep, no, nah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he goes, oh, and the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that was a record-scratching moment if they had him back then, which I don't think they did, okay? And everyone was like, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. Hold on a second here. I gotta love my neighbor? Well, that brings up a myriad of questions, right? So let's first, let's talk about um, the fact that what Jesus is essentially saying is you can't truly love God without loving your neighbor. They, they go hand in hand. And I think that's really important for us to hear, church. Because right now, we are justifying not loving someone because of an ideology, because of a theology, because of our own fear, and saying it's perfectly okay. And Jesus is saying, well, hold on a second. The outworking of loving God is going to be loving others. He says love as yourself. I think we have to real quickly talk about what like, that means because I think we can get really mixed up in, in self-love. But Jesus is saying is a fact to start with your inborn, deep, defining human trait, your love for yourself. We all, all of us have a self-preservation and a self-fulfillment. We all want to be happy. We all want to live. We want food. We want clothes. We want a place to live. We want protection from violence, people to like us and spend time with us. We want life to count in some way. All this is self-love. Self-love is the deep longing to diminish pain and to increase happiness. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, that love you have for yourself, put that on your neighbor. Your desire for self-preservation, joy, your, your, your efforts to, to make your life happy and fun and great. He says, now put that love on your neighbors. So then in the context of what we've been talking through, this has been a very big struggle for all of us. Because like I said, we've, we've justified that I can say whatever I want to say as long as it's in an electronic form. I can, I can completely create factions in the church as long as I feel like my ideologies are completely right. There's a number of ways we struggle with this. I'll, I'll hit just a few, and then you guys can um, let the Lord work the rest of it in your heart. Uh, the first one is who specifically is our neighbor. Um, again, I think we've been acting like people that have different beliefs aren't our neighbors. I want to throw that one out there real quickly. Um, the parable in the book of Luke where the lawyer asked Jesus this very question. Jesus goes into the Good Samaritan and tells the whole Samaritan story. It's in Luke 10, 25 through 37. I would encourage you to read it. And he says this whole question about this individual that's hurt and, and these people pass him. And then finally the Samaritan, which is would have been like culturally been completely like a, a gut check for the individuals that were listening because the Samaritans could do no good. But in the story, the Samaritan does good. He takes care of the person. He actually pays for his, 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 his medical and he says, leaves more money and gets him and takes care of him. And when he says, well, who of these people? You know, the religious... Uh, the religiously smart people, the right ones, or the ones that passed them by, who of these people did what, what God asked of them? What, what would, who, who was those people? And they, they say, they won't even say his name, but they're like the one who showed mercy. And you know what Jesus says? He says, yeah, you're right. Now go and do the same. 
You do likewise. So the question isn't, who is my neighbor? As much as it is, when God. So he says, one scholar says it this way. He says, God's intention is to call us into being a loving, compassionate, merciful person whose heart summons us into action when there is suffering within reach. A person who will interrupt their schedule, risk some embarrassment, part with their money for the sake of a stranger. Be that person, Jesus says, and you will inherit eternal life. Everyone is our neighbor. He says the point isn't who, it's, it's, it's when. When there is a chance to love, you love. You don't weigh in on who it is or what the return might be. You just love. When, not who. Now, this is overwhelming. I know, but look at, look at the people God brings in your life. Your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. I'm telling you right now, the Spirit of God in every one of you that are his children is alive and showing you, showing you who God wants to spill his love out on. And all we have to do is listen. All we have to do is just say, God, I'm yours. My life is about you. So everything, everything is an opportunity for you to be presented to someone that may not know you or to someone that knows you but needs to be encouraged. The second way that things get in uh, the way of us loving other people is just the fact of our self-love. Um, meaning uh, we have a higher view of ourselves, uh, so we see ourselves as greater than someone else. And this is, this is I see this in my own life on, on a regular basis. Instead of um, seeing people as, as people, we start seeing them as objects to be opposed, not as image bearers of Jesus, not as image bearers of God, the, the created by God. If you've ever thought less of anyone at all, then you've elevated yourself above them. If you've ever been frustrated because you didn't get what you thought you deserved, you haven't entitled yourself to something. Romans 12, 3 says, don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Everything that you have or everything that you are good at or everything that you have seen um, fruit in your life was given to you by God. It's not a work of yourself. You've been given that by God. If you're, if you're exceptionally good at something, you need to very quickly step off that throne and go, thank you, God. And the instant we start seeing ourselves as greater than someone, then we just see people as something we need to do as opposed to seeing people. Everything you have or are good at is given to you by God. How dare we put ourselves higher than others because of worldly rankings? That, that is not a system that works in the kingdom of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. There's no secondary, third area, like, okay, well, this person's further away. And you know what's funny is that the very people that walked with Jesus kept trying to do this. The disciples kept trying to vie for position. I want to be the closest one. I want to be the closest one. And they were literally in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus continually said, you don't understand, the first will be last. The last will be first. The way that you think of hierarchy, that's the way this world works. That's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. We're all at the best, and the best title that any one of us could bear is a bond slave, a joyful, willing servant to Jesus and his lordship in his kingdom. That's the best title we can have. We have to stop looking at people as less than us. We don't break this habit, then we will fail at loving others, which ultimately is failing at loving God. See, this is, this is what Jesus does here. You can't not love people and say you love God. Another way we fail at this is we rob people of their very needs. Now, many of us would say, well, I'm not robbing people of their very needs. I think Jesus was aware of that. And in Matthew 25, he says this. 
42 through 45. It says, For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or na- a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then you'll, say, then you'll answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you have done to me, is what he's saying here. So I know in my own life, there's a ton hanging on this. It's not only that we love others because that is actually loving God, but there's tangible ways to love God by meeting actual needs for others. It's a way that we fail at loving God and loving others is by robbing people of their needs. By, 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 let, me, let me just play this out. By thinking, oh, there's an issue there. It's someone else's problem to solve. If that's your first thinking of someone else that can do it and you don't need to do it or someone else will do it and you don't need to take part in it, that is a self-centered view. We are all very aware of the needs around us, and it is entirely overwhelming. I mean, like any time you try to partner, even as some of the, the nonprofits that we partnered with over the last couple of weeks, like you hear the stories, you're like, ah, the need is so great. It almost feels like, what good can I do? Like, like what, one thing, one gift, one moment, what really will it do? Well, if everyone's thinking that way, guess what? No one does anything. The only way the church accomplishes everything is if everyone does something. We have got to be seeing this. A selfish person sees the needs and closes their heart to it. Doesn't ask God what he wants you to do with the exposure he's showing you. If you see a need, the spirit of God is alive in you. He is showing you something. Sitting comfortable in your seat and doing nothing about it is a heart condition that needs to be worked out. Another way that we um, rob people of their needs, and I believe this is the greatest need of all, is that God in his amazing grace commands us to be a part of bringing hope to the world. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine, let your good works shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God is inviting us to live in a certain way so that those that don't know him could see us and our actions and see God. And I'll be honest, church, like I think we can do a lot better here. I know I'm, the Lord is pushing on me on this. We can do so much better at, at showing people the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We live our lives for him. The world will know that we are his disciples by the way we love each other. That's another thing that Jesus says. We'll talk about that in John. One of the most hypocritical things we could do is say we love God and hate others. That is hypocrisy. That has no place in the kingdom of God. So what is it for you? How are you refusing to love others? Is it not forgiving someone? Is it not sharing truth with someone? Is it not meeting needs that God is overly and overly completely exposing you to, but you just don't know what to do? What is it for you? The meaning of this command is our Lord is aiming to call into being loving, compassionate, merciful men and women whose hearts summon them irresponsibly, irresistibly into action when there is need within our reach, as one scholar said. And to that end, he demands that we ask again and again, am I desiring and seeking the temporal and eternal good of my neighbor with the same zeal 
ingenuity, and perseverance that I seek my own. The more I grow in loving God and keeping a step with him, the more he strengthens me and my character so that I can love others well. I think the reason why many of us are struggling to love others right now is because we've forgotten how to love God and we're not staying connected to him. You can see that in your reading. If you spend less time in the scripture than anything else you're reading, guys, you're, you're out of balance. If you only pray for a meal, for food that is already okay for us to eat, presumably, like you might eat McDonald's or something like that. No, sorry. If you're, if, then you're, you're, your lifeline of breathing, inhaling and exhaling, is, is, is completely just anemic. Jesus spent the entirety of his life on earth pouring himself out giving up his rights and serving, loving all the way to the cross. And he says, be like me in all ways. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to accomplish this. So let us walk in step with him. The church, if the church is unified and the church is all about Jesus, and Jesus tells us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves, well, then how do we do that? Well, here's where the 17 million variances of how that could happen would play out. But, but I want to I be really clear. We do it by not dividing. See, one of the biggest struggles I think that the church is having right now is that there is an excited feeling in some people. There is this passion and zeal to do something. And instead of, instead of saying, God, okay, you've given me this desire. You've, you've awoken my heart to this. You're, you're leading me in something. Instead of, going, instead of going, okay, Lord, who do you have around me that we can do this together? We run on our own. Say, I'll take this on my own. This is, this is I think, one of the biggest struggles that I, as I talk to pastors in the church right now, some will say, hey, I feel like the church could be doing this better. And instead of saying, hmm, maybe the Lord has asked me to play a part in that here, they run to find a church that's doing that thing better that is doing a bunch of other things worse. This is, this is why we, we, we move forward. So I want to I wanna, um, tap the, the little thing here, you know, with my chopstick, right? And I wanted to remind you guys, like, stop, stop playing your instruments on your own. Stop running away from the very community God has you in. Stop stepping away from the table that he's brought us to. And recognize that when we step away from the table, we step away from the table locked arms with other believers, locked with Jesus Christ, making his name known. We do it. We love God and love others. The first way and the only few ways I'm going to tell us how to do this, you have to be present. We have to be present. Hear me on this. Like if you are watching online, we're glad that this is an option for you right now, and we want you to be a part of this. But if that's all your interaction is with the church, is just watching something online, you are not present. If you're just here on Sundays and you're not moving into gospel communities and getting in community with people where they're going to rub you and you're going to drive you nuts and you're going to have to really figure out what patience looks like, if you're not doing that, then you're not, you're not being present. If you're just showing up here saying, I have no desire to take part in what God is doing, I will not let my, my, my finance be affected by it, my time being affected by it, then you're not present. It takes us being present to see God do a work. We're making everything about God, loving him and loving others. Our tendency would be to run. And I say, yeah, run, go, let's do it. Just don't forget that you're still at this table with Jesus. And that that table has people that are sitting next to you right now. 
and people that will be in your community later and people that, that Lord willing, aren't home yet but will be brought into the table. Love God, love others while remembering we are seated at the table with Jesus and every other person that he has drawn to himself. I shared this at our, at our partner meeting this last weekend. Um, I had to come up with a new word that I was saying incorrectly the whole time. Um, but uh, as we were talking about, as, as pastors, as elders, kind of what, what we felt like the Lord was doing, um, we felt like there was this, this season of listening, listening to the Lord. Like, God, what do you, what do you want from us? What are, you, what are these things that you're doing? We, we all feel it. And, and it's, this, it's this feeling of a little bit of, of angst, you know, like fear of the unknown and what the future may hold, but also like incredible excitement, of, like expectant of what the future may hold. And so I found out there's actually a word for it. Um, I still hold that it's not pronounced the French way, but I'll do it the French way. It's frisson is what it is. The other stuff said it was frison, but F-R-I-S-S-O-N. You guys can divide about that at the same table, okay? Um, but, but ultimately, it's a sudden strong feeling of excitement and fear. It's a, it's a word that like kind of where we get shivers from or goosebumps from. It's this, it's this feeling of like when you're going to a roller coaster, like I may die or puke or just really enjoy it, right? Like it's, it's a both and. It's this excitement feeling. And I, for the first time, in fact, the last time I can remember this feeling was when we were planting Rev 10 years ago. And guys, I'm, I'm telling you, not because I'm brilliant or I have some idea or that the elders, we are like, we got, we got kind of the, we've held it together and we know what the answer is, but I'm telling you, God is doing something big. He has been cutting and cutting and cutting away at, his, at, at every person, myself, and, and the elders around, and I'm watching what's coming. When I look in the mirror, I see less of myself and more of him, and I see the same in you and others, and I'm seeing this happen. I'm so excited, so excited. And what would be dangerous is in that excitement, we'd start making about what we do, about us, and about how we can somehow jar that up and, and sell it into a system that may or may not work. But that's not, that's not why we're excited. I'm excited because we have three people being baptized today. I'm excited because I see you. I see you out there serving God. I'm excited because I'm seeing real relationships happen through great trauma. I'm seeing needs of people that are desperate for hope being met. Is it the, the church isn't going anywhere, if you think about it. She's been seen through a lot worse histories than the one we're in right now. And, and why is that? It's because it's not based on us perfecting our love of God and others. It's based on who Jesus is. It's built on Jesus, and he will build his church, and the gates of hell will not stand in the way. Amen? So let me invite you back to the purpose that God has created you for, to live for him, to serve him, to love him. And by doing that, loving others, serving others, it's a beautiful opportunity and many of you have been cut away. I was at my friend's house the other day, and they have a bunch of fruit trees. And I don't know if you've ever seen fruit trees at, right before winter when they're cut back, but I literally looked at them. I was like, hey, did you have your toddler cut those? Like, it just looks really bad. He's like, no, this is how you have to do it. Explain to me, because I was not an arborist in any way, how, how cutting away allows that growth to happen. And, and I'm telling you right now, many of you have been cut on and cut on and cut on. But you're not being cut on this by this culture or the political system 
You're being cut by the vine dresser. Let him have his way with you. Remain under as painful as it is, as vulnerable as you feel, as raw or as naked as you may feel. Trust him because he is bearing fruit. And even if you're like, well, I am bearing fruit, you say, great, I'm going to cut so you can bear more fruit. Let it happen. So as a church, we're going to unapologetically move forward, not with 34 different initiatives, although initiatives can be great, and not with trying to find out how to best do things. But as a church, we're going to say, if, you've, if, if, if the Lord is in you, the Spirit of God is in you, then what is he asking you to do, and who can you do it with? And we predominantly see this happening at this church through gospel communities, through serving one another, through discipleship, through gatherings here on Sunday. That's the predominant way we're seeing it, but there's plenty of other ways to do it. Will you do it? I, I promise you this. It's going to be hard. You're going to meet opposition. You're going to get discouraged at times. And you may, you may even feel like you're being slightly crushed. But God, no matter how hard it gets, God, and I would just encourage you, praise God you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. May we share in the sufferings of Christ. We're going to... Um, move to a time of baptism today. And I'm really excited about this um, because uh, what I love is no two baptism stories are ever the same. No, no story is ever the same. But you know what? Is, is like there's this underlining truth in all of them. Jesus. And so we're going to do some baptisms. Baptisms, we just believe simply the Bible presents baptism as, a, as an outward witness of an inward faith that is in Jesus Christ through salvation alone in him, faith alone in him. Uh, we see it as a command, Matthew 28, if you want to know what to do, there you go, here's what you guys can spend the rest of your life trying to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see that baptism is a union with Christ. Romans 6, 3-4 says it this way. It says, do you not know that you who have that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with, with him in, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. Baptism is not what saves us, being united to Christ. Romans 3.23 says it's by faith alone we are united with Christ. But baptism is a symbol showing what life we have. Just like I'm married and I have a ring, but if I take the ring off, it's not like the marriage goes away back on the symbolism and so we have a couple being um, baptized and I, I want to just I want to just challenge this before they come and then after baptisms you guys can go and grab from the one table again inconveniently but we're going to we're going to test you guys as patients with each other the communion elements and we'll come back and take communion together but but I just want to say this because uh, inevitably this is almost always happens um, I think sometimes out of out of fear we we tend to be too cautious at times. And, and so I know people, there's always someone that's getting baptized that's like, well, I've been a follower for a long time and I haven't been baptized. And there's sometimes logistical reasons, sometimes there's um, selfish reasons or lazy reasons. It can be a many different things. But, but if you're here today and you proclaim the name of Jesus and you have not been baptized, I, I want to boldly invite you to stand up and leave with wet clothes today. Um, because 2,000 plus people left with soggy clothes in Acts when that happened. And no one came prepared for it. And um, Brian just beautifully reminded me this this morning when we were praying before the service. He said, uh, if you remember this building, when we, on Easter a couple years ago, there were just studs in here. 
And we said on Easter, there are people that don't know Jesus yet. And if you're here, you're like, oh, cool, yeah, I remember this. Um, and so we want to go on the studs. So underneath all the sheetrock of these walls is in permanent marker, a bunch of names of people that don't know Jesus, that we were praying for to come to know Jesus. I, I want us to be uh, more fervently praying for those names. And, and you may not have written any names. You're like, well, I didn't write any names. That's okay. There's people in your life too. And when we see baptism happening, it's not um, a celebration of who we are as a church. It's a celebration of who Jesus is in this individual. And so we should be um, moved, ecstatic, excitement, not some kind of fake excitement, not some kind of like, let's muster up a fake excitement, but our hearts should be moved to the core when we see someone else making a profession of that which we are walking in. If you see people getting baptized and you're just kind of like, oh, neat, okay, cool, like you, you, you're disconnected in some way. Because when, when, when Peter talks about Jesus going to the cross, the angels that are singing, holy, 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 it talks about them literally stopping, peering over to, lo- to watch that which is about to happen in the cross. The very reason I would argue and contend and plead with you why you would serve, why you'd be in gospel community, why you give money, why you do anything for, for the church at all is because Jesus has done something in your heart. It's not because you just think you're a better person than someone else. And you may have lost sight of who you were apart from Jesus, but man, when we remember who we are because of Jesus, oh, guys, brilliance can happen, not for our name, but for his. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, I haven't been baptized or I, I don't know what faith is, um, go back to the prayer room. Ask for help. Ask for a prayer. Ask for, for someone to walk you through this. If you have someone today that you're thinking of, even when I say this and we've got Thanksgiving week coming and you're going to be around a bunch of family that doesn't know Jesus, I hope I hope that people experience you, your family experience you, and go, there's something about you that doesn't make sense for me. Tell me about it. And then in all boldness, you would say, I have no idea what to say, but you would, you would move, and the Spirit of God would speak to you, and many of your family members would come home to the table that Jesus is drawing them to. And so I'm going to pray. Uh, Jack and Eli, you guys are first, and then Brandy, you can come up too. We're going to do baptisms. And then we'll move into worship. During that time of worship, I would encourage you guys to grab your communion elements and we will run through that after a song. God, thank you for baptism. Thank you for the um, not only the, um, the means for us to have baptism, but the, the, way, the, the ability to, to live as someone who knows you. Thank you for uh, reminding me of what it means to love you and to love others. God, forgive us for making that a, um, an elementary principle that we move on from. Forgive us for the ways that um, maybe we were pushed on and recognizing like our, our hearts aren't fully for you. Our soul isn't fully, fully for you. We aren't, we, aren't, we aren't giving all of our strength to you, God. And I pray that your spirit would just wreak havoc with our hearts. The areas that we're, we're, we're missing there, God. Um, the areas that, we, um, that we, are, we are not seeing you entirely, God, I pray that you would just uh, capture and reorient back to you. And as a church, as we, as we watch you kind of hit the, the podium like the baton, like a, like a, a conductor would at the beginning of a symphony, bringing chaos together, God, I look forward to seeing how your church can display the manifold wisdom of God, the varied wisdom of you as we, we work and, and move as a people that are meant to love you and to love others while seated at the table with Jesus. So God, we thank you for the profession of faith that's happening. We thank you for um, those that are in the room that are um, considering this right now. And God, if there is someone here that, is, uh, that doesn't know you, that is 
hearing these things and is, is, is finding themselves um, nervous or, or captivated by what's being had, God, I pray that you would just draw them to a confession of faith, that they would confess you as Lord, acknowledge you as Lord, and give their lives to you, and that they would trust you for the outcome of the rest of their days. And for those of us that have made that, that confession of faith, God, I pray that we would live true to it in step with your spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God and love others.